0: To why we do what we do, I am going to be your glittery bloodsucking host, Abraham. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I am your host, Atticus Shane from Vampire Diaries, which is apparently a real character. Uh, you know, it's funny, I was trying to find like vampire characters for this to be like, yeah, how do we introduce mm-hmm. ourselves? I had read that Abraham Van Helsing is a character in, you know, some books. So, oh,
0: why didn't I call myself Abraham Van Helsing?
1: Uh, I should have done that. Well, we could hit the reset button. It's fine. We've already come this far. So, we are talking about,
0: as you might imagine, our Halloween-themed episodes for the year of 2021. We like to take take the month and pick out some creepy-ish sort of topics and see where we can apply psychology mm-hmm. to those topics. And there's really a lot of fun in some monsters and cryptids and that sort of thing. Well, man, we've, we've got some fun ones this year. So. We are talking about the desanguinators, <laughs> rabies infested, afraid of light. I'm getting ahead of myself. We're talking about vampires.
1: Yeah, vampires rule. I mean, cool vampires rule. Like the idea of vampires is a lot of fun. I started watching uh, what we do in the shadows, mm. and it's just so funny. Like it's a really great like interpretation of vampires and like taking the lore and turning it into comedy. I I enjoy it
0: yeah, that one's high on my list for shows to check out for
1: sure. yeah, it's it's hilarious it's hilarious. So yes, we're doing vampires and we're doing real vampires. We're not doing the Edward Cullen nonsense. We're not doing the Twilight <laughs> bogusness. We're talking about like actual vampires and where this comes from. and and also kind of maybe explaining how vampires got to be what we know about them today. And I think that's probably where a lot of the fun psychology part comes in is like understanding that there is like an actual historical basis. For these creatures of the night, these undead beings. <laughs> yeah, so let's
0: let's talk about what a vampire is. A vampire is a lawyer for the
1: previous president. <laughs> <laughs> yes, other examples of vampires could be the governor of Florida. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> many, many candidates, I suppose count as a vampire yeah and like the governor of florida these are undead creatures that prey on humans (laughs) sometimes also preying on
1: animals yeah you know that sort of thing a formal definition is a corpse supposedly in european folklore would leave its grave at night to drink the blood of the living by biting their necks with long pointed canine teeth and that's often the depiction of vampires that you see it's like they are undead creatures with sharp fangs that drink blood
0: so much interesting lore around this and we'll talk more about that and actually let's start with you know it it is difficult to pin down when exactly vampires started to show up on the scene there are many theories about where this folklore may have come from you know without being able to pin anything down it's maybe worth just discussing what some of those are and one of the earliest theories of the origin of the idea of vampirism has to do with the decomposition process and because when a body begins to deteriorate Folks would express concern with the look of the corpse acknowledging that like, that doesn't really look like, doesn't really look like my buddy James anymore. It kind of looks weird. Right. Or, you know. Eustace, maybe, because that would be a name (laughs) back then. Because, I mean, their skin starts to get gray. It's not very colored. You know, they look like Vision from Infinity War when he gets the Mind Stone pulled out for people who watch those movies, who maybe is not our audience. Yeah, yeah. But the skin gets gray. The body starts to bloat. It gives the appearance of a person who is dead, but also like well fed like they've been gorging themselves on something mm-hmm. and what is
1: the something that might be gorging themselves on maybe blood maybe other people so when this lore started coming up a lot of times what would happen is premature burials would often happen and it actually happened more often than we like to believe so what ended up happening was people who were presumably dead were suddenly alive again
0: this is like um they'd get they would have like some kind of illness right and so then they would their heart rate would be so low, their breathing would be so shallow
1: that they would appear corpse-like. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, what ends up happening is when corpses were exhumed, they would find scratches on the inside of the casket lids, which is horrifying. That is a horrifying thing. And this paired with many, many grave robbings that occurred It appeared that the undead were rising from their graves. There's also some situations that they would develop a device that would be like a little bell that would be at the the headstones.
0: Yeah, well, and I don't know a lot about the history of it, but the fact that because there was a concern about burying people alive, you know, they did the best they could, but they also didn't want bodies just sitting out. With they're like, maybe they'll come back, let's just leave it on the table for a few days and see what happens. They would smell really bad, it was obviously very unsightly, and if there was a dead body, which probably more often than not it was like legitimately dead, they want to get that thing in the ground pretty quickly. Speaking of which, we do have an episode about why we bury our dead that will be coming up fairly soon. But yeah, so knowing that it was an issue that they might be burying someone alive, they would put bells on their tombstones, a little like ropes going down into the coffin so that if someone was alive, they could ring the bell. This definitely became the plot point point in a few scary stories, notably a recent movie. I think it was the nun, maybe
1: that sounds about right.
0: Yeah. Where they, this is like a plot point of someone buried alive and then they had to ring the bell. Spoiler alert for that terrible movie. <laughs> someone <laughs> wants to suffer through it and get to that part. So anyway that was definitely an interesting part but you're right like that that is also part of the the lore there is that the the coffins showing signs of life indicating presumably that these were undead they were exiting and crawling back into their coffins
1: Yeah no thanks sounds like a horrifying thing now Porphyria is also commonly cited as as the start of where people started thinking about vampirism and kind of in the context that we understand it today. So this is a group of liver disorders that resulted in the buildup of porphyrins, which impacts the nervous system and includes pain in the stomach, confusion, high blood pressure and a lot of other things. Like it's not a really great thing to have. And in some cases, those with porphyria are so sensitive to sunlight that it actually causes blisters and receding gums, which gives the illusion of elongated teeth. And there are many types of the disorder, but the treatment might include avoiding sunlight and intravenous chemo and glucose solution. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into this porphyria. It also, too, it like changes your urine different colors and it like your, your skin starts kind of like getting really pale. And there's a lot of things that go along with it. It really kind of adds to the lore. Why hasn't there been more attention
0: to the detail of urine color and vampire lore? I feel like that was a missed opportunity.
1: When you start thinking about vampires, I guess maybe the the whole thing is like they're supposed to be sexy. So like you're not supposed to think that they pee. Like that's the only thing I could think of. Like nobody wants to think of like everybody in Twilight like taking a piss.
0: I mean, it probably be- depends on where you're at fetish-wise. Yeah, yeah, but, um... not the king-shame.
1: <laughs> We're not king-shaping. But basically, like, that's probably, probably not like in the common zeitgeist, I guess.
0: That's fair. You know, it is <laughs> funny, though. Like the What you described, first of all, seems to really hit the mark for accounting for vampirism. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like checking all the boxes minus glittery skin. Also, what you described is like not something I would think of as being even remotely thought about as being sexy. Right. We're talking like they've got their keel over with pain from their stomach. Their teeth are poking out of their body because their gums are receding. They've got pale skin and like, I don't know. It just it doesn't seem like uh, something that would <laughs> see all that appealing. Yeah. But you got interview with a vampire and then you're just like, mm, look at that.
1: Yeah. Oh, Tom Cruise and his porphyria. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So with that being said, where does the folklore of vampires actually come from? We're going to break it down a little bit because there's a lot of really interesting history that goes along with uh, kind of the, the main, the bullet points of vampirism.
0: Yeah, well, we cannot identify, as we said, we don't know the exact timeline. We don't even know if all of the origin stories are accurate, but we can say that there is a very common start, what many people have heard of which is Nosferatu, mm-hmm. and that, you know, we idolize Nosferatu in, in pictures and movies. That's one of the most iconic archetype vampires ever, and so we'll start there.
1: Yeah. The characteristics of Nosferatu and, like, some of the the main things that go along with kind of those those characteristics starts with an Egyptian female warrior goddess named Sekhmet. They were responsible for both plague and healing. In all of human history, this is widely considered the first vampire tale within storytelling in, in human society. So, Ra, the sun god, sent Sekhmet to Earth to punish humankind for disobedience. So, you know... At the very least, you know, humans have this like whole history of like God is supposed to be loving and caring, but then they will punish you for sure for doing something that you did, like floods and stuff like that. But it happened in Egypt too. Now, during their reigns of punishment, Sekhmet could not stop drinking blood during the slaughters. So Sekmet would show up on Earth, start slaughtering all the humans, and then continue to drink blood and couldn't stop. And to stop her, Ra just dyed a bunch of beer red and gave it to her. So she just drank a bunch of red beer instead. And that's eventually what stopped her. She got so drunk that she passed out and slept for three days.
0: I like that story. That's a nice one. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, it's got, you know, got to go the classic hallmarks of a good story. I incidentally, and not necessarily important, but I did hear on an episode of another podcast that potentially it's supposed to be pronounced Ray. Okay. And just something food for thought, I guess. Anyway, many of the origin tales and folklore of vampires began during the medieval period because, you know, they believes it in everything. Yeah. And Porphyria is attributed to the beginning of the lore during this time, which makes a lot of sense as we've described what Porphyria is, which seems to describe it pretty well.
1: But one of the more clear-cut cases of vampirism during this time began with Vlad Dracula or Dracul or Vlad the Impaler. Heard that one. Which is uh, so metal. This guy is so metal. Yeah, that... Very metal. Like if you, if you want to listen to any like metal bands, like they, like they probably like try to really try to bring in some of the imagery because he was aggressive and awful. Now he ruled a Wallachia or Wallachia, Romania from 1456 to 1462. So he didn't have a long reign, but it was incredibly brutal and incredibly violent. We're not going to get into a lot of the details, but someone doesn't just get the nickname Impaler for no reason. We'll say that. Yeah.
0: Wallachia forever.
1: <laughs> yeah, you do that. And then, the yeah, head. except like that you're, you're usually crossing your arms over your chest because there's a giant wooden stake in it.
0: That's right. I heard some interesting lore about the stake in the chest as well. Yeah. We want to get to that. So as you said, being an impaler, stories began to circulate that Vlad would often torture and murder people and dip his bread in their blood, Ooh. which is a weird, gross thing to do. I am also wondering now if Vlad maybe had lead poisoning or some of the brain damage (laughs) or was just mean he just sounds mean he was like i can't be a governor of florida because florida doesn't exist yet but (laughs) but if i could i'm gonna behave as if i were the governor of florida (laughs) and bram stoker (laughs) was so interested in the story of vlad that he named their character after the ruler
1: dracula yeah the book dracula is named after vlad dracul so in 1892. We have one of the more famous cases of vampirism worth noting. This one kind of goes under the radar, but it was an interesting thing. So you've got Mercy Brown lived in Exeter, Rhode Island. And at the time, there was a widespread outbreak of tuberculosis, also known as the consumption. Way better name. So we should go back to that. (laughs) But instead of science, we blame vampires during that time. Mercy's mother and sister both passed as a result of the consumption. And after the passing of Mother Mary Elisa, Sister Mary Olive, and Mercy Brown herself, their bodies were all exhumed. And it was found that Mercy's body had not decomposed at the same time or at the same rate as the other two. She was also laying on her side as opposed to laying on her back in her casket, which was another kind of sign that like eh, something was kind of off here. She was undead or maybe was like in some pain when she was buried or maybe wasn't exactly dead when she was buried. But it was determined instead of all the normal, you know, logical reasoning that you might come up. It was determined she was a vampire. And the appropriate heart elixir rituals were performed. We're going to talk about heart elixir rituals in a little bit, because that is a whole thing to stave off vampires, too. Cool. I do
0: remember also learning about those at some point, so it'll be fun to revisit that. Yeah. Over time, as you know, vampires started becoming scarier, 30 days of night, and sexier, Twilight (laughs) interview with a vampire. Today, we think of suave, romantic, good-looking vampires, Mm -hmm. Blade, (laughs) that sort of thing. Lots of movie references today. So let's quickly talk about the characteristics of vampires, all the lore about what they can and can't do. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Mm-hmm.
1: These are obviously just pulling from the myths of, of things that we know about vampires. So these creatures are said to have supernatural powers, including immortality, enhanced strength and senses, super speed, increased healing and durability, and several others. You'll hear sometimes they can fly, they can shapeshift, they can control animals. They have telepathy or telekinesis. Uh, essentially vampires are just this incredibly overpowered cryptid creature and you shouldn't be able to select them in a fighting game unless your name is like captain garlic or the sunshiner or the silver snakes from legends of the hidden temple all of them might be appropriate combatants for a vampire the problem is that the vampires are just like way op when it comes to living they're way op
0: (laughs) yeah and that's true. And it almost reminds me of uh, sort of the elves in in the Middle Earth lore yeah. of the like, how, how did any other species ever survive when you had elves competing for resources? Because I'm like, they were always described yeah. as better than everyone at everything all the time.
1: Yeah, exactly. Incl- including hairstyles.
0: <laughs> yes, definitely hairstyles. Love very, very straight thin hair. <laughs> but despite the fact that these vampires were overpowered, every superhero has their weakness. They're not really, they're, they're super anti-heroes, I guess. Yeah. And vampire, for vampires, this is also true. This can include, but is not limited to, depending on the lore to which you are turning, silver, being allergic to or having a reaction to silver, stakes, sunlight, decapitation, drowning, fire, garlic, and others. We'll talk about that more in a bit, and particularly have a piece of lore about, or a, a piece of history about why
1: stakes may have been a thing. You know, to be fair though, those are all weaknesses for me too. <laughs> like, these are human,
0: I, human weaknesses.
1: Yeah, these are also like, uh, I mean, certain levels garlic. I mean, like, I feel like every one of these is like a human weakness, right? Like, like decapitation for sure. Like, definitely not a thing I want to drowning fire. Also, don't prefer those things. So it makes sense that these might be (laughs) these might be weaknesses for these creatures.
0: Yeah, at least four of those are definitely weaknesses (laughs) for me as well.
1: Yeah. Now, one ritual to prevent vampirism. There's a few steps to this. Exhuming the body, driving a stake into the chest, removing the heart and burning it. And in this ritual, folks may actually add the ashes to water and drink it. (laughs) Damn. I know. Like, that's what happened with Mercy Brown. Like, think about this. They're like, oh, daughter, I'm so sorry. I've lost you and all my family. I'm going to drink your hard ashes just to make sure that you don't come back and eat everybody. Now, they may also sprinkle the corpse with garlic for good measure. And this ritual is described and practiced as late as 2003. Whoa. I want to repeat that because I'm not sure you might have heard maybe 2003 BCE or something like that. No, 2003. I was 17 years old. I was in high school. I was putting in college applications when we were still practicing this. And this is what happened. Petra Toma's family decided that he was going to become a Strigoi, which is a type of vampire in Romanian folklore. And they actually exhumed his body and completed this heart elixir ritual just to make sure he didn't come back in 2003, the year that we all or many of us had iPods iPods existed at the same time that this happened. So much to unpack there. I don't even know where to start. Yes. Like this is happened. The Backstreet Boys were around.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> so there seems to be a small amount of cannibalism in here and made almost worse by putting garlic on the thing you're about to consume. You're like, I just burned these human remains. Let's, be- <laughs> Let's put a little garlic on there and then drink it. Yeah. Get the nice, savory, ashy, garlicky human taste. There's also, like, listening to that, like, I feel like we could have done this as, like, a step one, a step two, (laughs) and, like, sort of done, like, a a show tune sing-through of the steps. And then, yeah, 2003, I mean, which, despite the fact that that was nearly 20 years ago, wasn't
1: that long ago. (laughs) Yeah, say that out loud. They dug up a vampire and drank its heart ashes in 2003. That's very strange.
0: Okay. Let's talk about how one becomes a vampire, because, again, there's various sort of myths and legends about how this, this occurs. So across cultures, there are multiple theories as to how a vampire is created. So here's a few that you're obviously going to have heard of, of some of these. The most common thought is that vampires are, are created as the result of a bite from a vampire. So they got the, the vampire virus, I guess. If you're a living human and are bitten on the neck by one of the blood-sucking undead, you will be ushered into immortal damnation of superpowered like, immortality. Yeah. Which sounds terrible. Destined to seek blood from living for eternity. So, although it would be exhausting, and you do still have many of the same weaknesses as normal humans, it appears, you also do have, like, superpowers and immortality. So,
1: yeah. Eh, eh. Give and take. That's a give and take, I guess. Now, in Slavic and Chinese traditions, if an animal jumps over a corpse, it can cause vampirism. So, you know, keep your cats away from my body. I don't, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to come back. I wonder if flying over a corpse counts like if a bird flies. Would it have to hop? Does flying count? I mean, cause I guess you have to jump into flying, right? You have to like, you have to like, yeah. lever- you have to get, uh, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know that they accounted for birds. I wonder if, well, to be fair though, birds aren't real.
0: <laughs> That's right. They didn't have they didn't have the technology back then yeah yeah in some instances a body that has a wound that was not treated with boiling water may be susceptible to the curse of vampirism
1: and in Russia it said that vampires are former witches who had rebelled against the Russian Orthodox Church so that doesn't seem like there's any sort of like uh underlying concern there or or maybe some kind of ulterior motive it sounds like that's totally on the up and up and that you know, there's no, there's no power dynamic there for any reason.
0: That's right. If, if at any point you find yourself questioning the teachings of the Russian Orthodox Church, you may
1: be a vampire. <laughs> one thing I really liked about that one though was the idea that witches and vampires were one and the same. Mm-hmm. Like vampires were just former witches. Like I like that there's like a like a like an interlacing of different lore where it's like no, they're all unChristian. They're all ungodly. But this is just kind of how this this is the stages of ungodliness.
0: So they're just leveled up.
1: Yeah, exactly. They keep making
0: their villains cooler and cooler, and then they're like, I'm like I don't know, you, they're these aren't unappe- unappealing, you know?
1: Right. Well, that's what that's what I'm saying. Like, the, like if your villains sound awesome, of course people want to be these things. Right. I could go to church and I could feel guilty all the time, or I could fly.
0: Yeah. Control animals. Yeah. Be really sexy apparently. <laughs> so in addition to some of these causes, some argue that vampires are suicide victims, evil beings or malevolent spirits possessing a corpse. So there's the corpse is just sort of the the tool of the
1: of the whatever. And the most widely accepted vampire canon is that once you're bitten, you're changed. And this is this is the cause that is also depicted across many fictional works, and that's what we're mostly familiar with when we talk about vampirism. However, there might be an actual reasonable explanation for why this type of thing happens, and we're going to get into that in a little bit, too. There
0: are actually a good number of mythological creatures and or conditions that are transmitted via bite. It actually makes me wonder if there's something to dig into on doing an episode on The myth of the bite because that's also how you get zombies so you got vampires and zombies and i feel like there's a bunch of other ones that i'm missing that i remember hearing about that bite is the main source of transmission for doing these things spider-man yeah becoming a spider-man yeah you have to be bitten by another spider-man yeah it's a whole thing that's
1: why there's so (laughs) many (laughs) spider-man there are also different types of vampires yeah now you might be wondering shane what do you mean that there are other types of vampires? you're saying there's more than just Dracula and yes, that's exactly what I'm saying, so according to records, there are at least three types of vampires and i and I say records I mean mostly mean records of lore, yeah, like fictional stories, yeah, not like peer reviewed journals. that'd be really wild if i don't I couldn't really find any articles like like peer reviewed articles on vampirism. I feel like there's probably some somewhere about like the types of behaviors, so we'll have to We'll have to kind of share those resources later, but there are at least three types that can be accounted for. First is the sanguinarian, which are sometimes referred to as sanguine vampires, and these are the vampires we've all come to know and love. Sanguine is the medical definition, meaning consisting of or relating to blood, and sanguinarian vampires are those that are the bloodsuckers. I'm not sure if that's a slur, but I want to be careful, (laughs) so... uh, the vampire I mean, the,
0: community is very offended by you yeah, calling yeah. them
1: bloodsuckers. Yeah, 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 blood consumers. I don't know what the proper nomenclature is. I need to do more DEI in vampirism. But um, this is the common. This is the one that we know. The blood-drinking vampires in the vampire world.
0: There's also psychic vampires or an energy vampire. This is a creature that lives off of the life force of a living being. So no matter how you spin it, they're more or less parasitic. Yeah, and sometimes these can be called emotional vampires or soul vampires and can include demons such as the succubi and incubi among their ranks and other things. So this one, I think, is is a very apt metaphor for certain humans.
1: Yes, 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 yeah, yeah. You have that friend that, like, you just, they're just exhausting to talk to. Or that person in the office, you're like, ugh.
0: They drain your life force out of you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually, like, one of the main jokes on, like, what we do in the shadows. The one character is a psychic vampire, and he just, like, looks like he works in the office and just, like, bores you to death, and that's how he feeds <laughs> it's really so brilliant good. they don't like him because yeah. he's like they don't invite him to any of the meetings the rest of them are blood drinkers and then he's like he's like just bores them to death he's like you know this is how you do your taxes and just like like people are just exhausted they're falling asleep on the couch and he's like that's how he's feeding what a
0: maliciously insidious vampire right
1: right And also, too, there are hybrid vampires, and they're exactly that, right? Vampires that share characteristics of both sanguinarian and psychic vampires. So they have kind of a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, but mostly we talk about those emotional vampires and those blood-sucking vampires.
0: How can you prevent a vampire from biting you and doing its thing?
1: We have a couple things that we can share on that. So if we're scared of vampires, we don't want to deal with them. We don't want to get bitten, but we want to keep them away. So there's a couple different things. Garlic is one that is commonly used, and and when I say garlic, you might also include things that have like really powerful smells. Those tend to ward off vampires. So if
0: you are particularly flatulent, you might be able to ward off a vampire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, particularly if you eat a lot of garlic, and yeah. that makes its way out. And there are religious relics as a common one: crosses, maybe Buddha statues. Yeah, I'm hoping maybe even like a pentagram would be a cool one if that worked. <laughs> even though I assume that they'd. Would think yeah. that that was generally something a vampire would be okay with.
1: I had heard something that's like basically, if you acknowledge that Satan is real, then you acknowledge that God is real. So, like, they're, they could also be considered relics. And, like, we should probably look into like, do pentagrams work. We've also got sunlight. We've also got stakes. We've also got fire. And there's a couple other things. But, Abraham, you mentioned a history of stakes. And I, I would love to hear this history of stakes. Let's get into this real quick. Yeah,
0: so apparently there are different cultures with different practices around this, and I don't recall where this happened, but if you look in certain writings, to kill a vampire, you actually had to stake it in the mouth specifically. Oh. And so you'd take a corpse and drive a stake into its mouth through the back of its throat. I assume severing the spine, I'm not totally sure, but that was one of the traditions. There are some that I think went right into the head, and what, what one of the things that was interesting about staking a vampire in the heart, or at least in the chest cavity in some capacity is that because they would get bloated and they would be full of these gases and often there'd be air trapped in the lungs anyway, is that if you drove a stake into a vampire's chest and that decompressed the air, then it would cause the corpse to make a sound as if it were sighing as breath escapes through the vocal cords through the mouth and they'd kind of go, Sigh. and that sort of sound would make people believe that they had like the corpse was, it looked like a corpse, had no pulse like a corpse, but was actually an undead creature that you killed. And that sound that it made was evidence of its passing and why a stake was effective at killing it. So I, I just thought that was a really interesting sort of little tidbit Around where that lore may have come from is that the sound an actual corpse makes if you were to drive a stake into it, yeah. which I'm not recommending, incidentally.
1: Yeah, please don't do these things. <laughs> I mean, there's some that are like le- less harmless, like the garlic, less thing harmful, is uh, less harmful. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, thank you for correcting that. Yeah, because I guess like I guess like silver bullets would be definitely less harmless. <laughs> there are some other sites that we found that include you know different weaknesses that are like you know things like implements made of silver that can be used for decapitation, like a silver axe you know or other potent scents that can be likened to garlic or mustard seeds sprinkled on the roof of your home so if you sprinkle mustard seed on your home it will prevent people from walking in sure yeah it's odd to me
0: that the implement used for decapitation would need to be made of silver like if you decapitated them with something made of like steel then the head just like grows back yeah. or something <laughs> like only by silver does it somehow
1: not yeah it's like ah you were close you selected pewter instead of silver
0: yeah We're not in the realm of logic here, so whatever. Mm -hmm. Of course, a primary weakness of vampires is related to invitation. Vampires must be invited Mm -hmm. into your home to enter it, depending on your sources. They are incredibly rule-governed in this sense. Mm -hmm. So if you can avoid and refrain from inviting strangers into your home, you should be able to avoid the
1: undead and the threat of immortality. Yep, absolutely. So... Don't invite people to your home in general. But that's also an interesting thing, too. So like you have like this whole thing where it's like, okay, so I don't invite people in my home. I don't get sunlight. Then you run the risk of people thinking that you're a vampire.
0: That's true. Yeah. Ultimately, it seems like both safety and threat come from agoraphobia.
1: Yeah. 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 Which is an episode for another day. Yeah. So there are vampires in other cultures. And this is worth talking about because a lot of what we're talking about is like the Eastern European kind of folklore that's. That's been kind of pretty pervasive. Now, in West Africa, there is the Asanbossum and the Adzi. And the Asanbossom is said to have iron teeth and live in the trees. The Adzi is said to take the form of a firefly and primarily hunts children, which is horrifying. Wow. That's a story to be like, don't go out at night by yourself. That's what that is to me. It's like, it hunts children. You are going to get eaten. Poor lantern bugs. I know. In the Eastern Cape region, there is the Impundulu, which takes the form of a bird of prey and can summon thunder and lightning. There's also versions of like thunderbirds that exist in other cultures too. So it's kind of a cool, like, first of all, the word thunderbird is awesome. Very cool. It's a very cool thing. But it exists that kind of type, that type of animal, that kind of like powerful creature exists across cultures. Wow. And there's also the Ramanga, um, who drinks blood and eats toenail clippings. So don't clip your toenails. Yeah. And that's just in like in different parts of Africa. There's also the
0: Lugaru, or maybe Lugaru, Mm -hmm. which comes from the combination of common beliefs among French and African voodoo practices. So the Lugaru, I like that way it sounds there, is a woman who is in league with the devil and has some magical abilities. This can be found commonly in the Caribbean and naturally in Louisiana. Uh There's also a suquaint of Trinidad, the tunda and the Patasola from Colombia. So all different examples of sort of vampire myth.
1: Yep, and in Japan, we have the nukikubi, whose head detaches from its body and seeks prey at night. We also have the Mandarugo in the Philippines, and the Penangalan in... Malaysia who is a woman who uses black magic to summon victims usually pregnant women wow so yeah there are a lot of like vulnerable populations that are targeted in this seriously which would suggest that maybe vampires aren't really that super powerful they just like to prey on the weak but I think the the one that really stresses me out because I've read the the about the head detaching from the body and seeking prey at night I've seen that lore in several different places too which is just horrifying and also it means that that person cannot just be decapitated
0: yes that would. That you're like, all right, I guess I'll start a little early. You know, if decapitate them. Yeah. <laughs> they're just like,
1: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're really getting ahead of it. Ah. <laughs>
0: yes. Here for puns.
1: Yes. I love it. I had, I, I couldn't let that one go. It was, no, that like, was the dad and me.
0: Very well done. Yeah. I appreciate Timing that. Timing and everything. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay. Let's get into a little bit of uh, actual science here. Yeah. There's a thing called Renfield's Syndrome, or clinical vampirism. This particular version of this is similar to clinical lycanthropy, which you can see in a previous episode. I think mm-hmm. our first year of doing Halloween-themed episodes, we talked about clinical lycanthropy, which, Shane, you led the notes on. Which was so fun. Yeah, and so, in this Renfield syndrome, they're in similar similar to the clinical lycanthropy. Actually, there haven't been sufficient cases to actually include it as an official diagnosis. However, this is often diagnosed with schizophrenia or the paraphilias, and can that that include things like blood drinking and injurious biting, that sort of thing.
1: And the name Renfield actually might sound familiar. You know, see what I did there, because we're talking about vampires and familiars and all that stuff. Oh god! Oh man! Sorry, it took me a second. <laughs> I sprinkle them in, baby. I sprinkle him in. The syndrome is named after R.M. Renfield, who was considered to be Dracula's human familiar in the novel by Bram Stoker, and that's where Renfield comes from. And you'll hear, like, and also in *Dracula*, *Dead and Loving It*, which is a really great spoof of that with uh, Leslie Nielsen. Man, we should we should
0: think of all the different places because I was just thinking of other vampire stories. Like *I Am Legend* was a, a great book. You're right. Where the antagonists were actually uh, vampires? Uh, I would highly recommend that book.
1: Funny you should say that. I am all I am recommending that book. Spoiler alert. That's 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 what I was recommending for this.
0: <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's a lot. There's some really cool things. That I think there are some cool vampire stories. Anyway, there are many folks who hypothesize that vampirism is actually the result of misidentified rabies. So uh-huh. we, we've had a few different culprits in here, and rabies actually is a contender. So in humans. After a bite from an infected animal occurs, it may have jumped over you and then bit you, who knows, but the the virus starts to manifest in different ways, and humans may suffer from the following symptoms once rabies takes hold, and that includes things like sensitivity to sunlight, sensitivity to smells, insomnia, meaning that you're up in the night, probably also because there's not sunlight, so it's easier for you, hallucinations, hypersexuality, Mm -hmm. which is where Anne Rice got her (laughs) inspiration, maybe. Mm -hmm. And Tom Cruise got his. And and Tom Cruise. Aggression, including biting. So, again, some similarity there. And hydrophobia, Mm -hmm. avoiding water, that sort of thing. So, this is a reasonable contender.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean... We're not saying it's rabies, but it's probably definitely rabies. I mean, it just makes sense when you think about it. Like, think about the weaknesses that go along with this. Sensitivity to sunlight, so I'm going to avoid the sun. Sensitivity to smells. Garlic is a very powerful smell, so it makes sense that I would be averse to that. Aggression, including biting. Hydrophobia. If my weakness is drowning, then I don't want to go anywhere near water.
0: (laughs) Fair. I do think that Porphyria has a very good contender here. Yeah. Maybe what we need to do is we need to have you listeners... Post on social media and vote for whether you think it is rabies or porphyria <laughs> or something else or a write-in candidate, but I would love to, to see what people think.
1: No, we will definitely do that. We'll get that posted up.
0: Sweet. Maybe when we post this episode, what we'll do is we'll include in that, like, uh, hey, weigh in on this topic of what seems the most likely for you. Yeah, I love it. Okay, we have some other interesting tidbits to pull out here. Now, I, for some reason, one of those weird things that people get interested in, one of mine is like names of, or uh, they're, they're called names of assemblage or names of plurality. It's what you call a group of something like a murder of crows. Yeah.
1: Or like a giggle of clowns. Or, oh, oh I didn't know that one. That was really no, good. No, I don't know. I just made that up. I, oh, okay. I, I call them a group of clowns, either a giggle or a chuckle. And I call a group of pugs a wrinkle. Nah, I like that. Or a snort. Or a snort.
0: A snort is good. A shiver of sharks is a real one. An obstinacy of buffaloes. Mm-hmm. I think I've got the animal right in that one. Yeah. I'm uh, really fun. I thought it'd be really fun to come up with some for like types of people. So I thought of like an irony of hipsters would be <laughs> <laughs> a good one. See, I would have gone with a mustache. A mustache <laughs> of hipsters. Yeah, a mustache is good too. Um, I like that. So <laughs>
1: But like my favorite, I love like a brigade of frogs. Like a brigade of frogs is really good. And I think a crash of rhinos is fantastic.
0: Oh yes, that's right. Yeah, Crash of Rhinos. A business, a, a group of ferrets is called a business. That's right, yeah, yeah. So these are these are really fun. Yeah. And if you were to see a group of vampires, you could call them a clutch, a brood, a coven, a pack, or a clan. And Clan has some interesting implications. So I think I'd probably go with a clan of vampires.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. With a C, by the way. With a C. I'm, I'm,
0: uh, well, <laughs> that's that's how the word clan is spelled. But yeah, yeah. You might yeah, call intelligent it intelligent people, else, you know, or yeah. spell it differently depending on what you're trying to say about
1: this group. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's spelled with a C by intelligent people. People who are not intelligent spell that with a K. <laughs> and we're coming after all of them. Another interesting tidbit is Countess Elizabeth Bathory, not to be confused with the Viking black metal band of the same name, so that's maybe what? a bonus recommendation. Oh my gosh. Bathory was accused of biting the flesh of people she tortured and bathing in their blood to retain her beauty. She was also reportedly incredibly beautiful and stayed beautiful for quite some time, so it, it becomes a little bit like, oh, maybe
0: I have heard of this person. Yeah. And makes me think of John
1: Wick, but interesting. <laughs> yeah. So and, and like I said, Bonus recommendation go listen to Bathory. Great, great metal band, Viking black metal band. Nice. Yeah. We
0: had mentioned some of the uh, other cultures. There's also in Chinese legend, their vampire is called Qiang Shi or mm-hmm. Corpse Hopper. So it's kind of a cool
1: thing. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Bella Lugosi is commonly used as the model for vampire costumes. So when you see uh, a lot of Halloween costumes and Dracula and all that, they're based off the Bella Lugosi model with the large black cloak, the slick back hair, and the in the sharp canine teeth. And you can actually watch his portrayal in the 1931 film Dracula. When people started, when Halloween started picking up more, and like the kind of the the costume industry started picking up. You started seeing Bela Lugosi. One of my favorite stories, too, is the vampire cough that that where you pull the cloak over your face and you cover your nose and all that. Yep. That started with Ed Wood's plan nine from outer space or whatever, whatever that movie is. It was like basically the room of horror movies. So basically they tried to get Bela Lugosi into the movie and he didn't. Join the the film, but they they had somebody dress up like him and walk around with the cloak over his face, like he was a vampire, like he was doing the vampire cough the entire time. So you thought it was Bella Lugosi, but it wasn't, huh?
0: I really like the name Bella Lugosi. I feel like it it rolls off the tongue nicely.
1: Yeah, Bella Lugosi was like a wonderful actor. Like thank the stars for for him for all the work that he did in like creating those movie monsters.
0: There is no one ever attributed vampirism to the Marquis de Sade. But Marquis Sad was famously a weird person who did weird things to other people and, and stuff. And there are certainly rumors of there being blood drinking as part of this mm-hmm. stuff that he did. So, you know, the torture porn type people, um, Marquis Sad is sort of up there as someone who may have contributed to that sort of thing
1: as well. Yeah, Absolutely. With that being said, we could probably wrap it up. Is there anything else you want to add to the lore and the myth of vampirism that we've talked about today? I was trying to think of any of any other
0: pop culture references to give for vampires that occurred to me. So I'd say we'd mentioned Twilight. We'd mentioned Blade. Blade. Lost Boys. Oh, we haven't mentioned Lost Boys, but we we can mention Lost Boys. Yeah, vampire. great vampire movie. Yeah, all of the basic Anne Rice vampire lore stuff, like Queen of the Damned, that sort of stuff. Yeah. What We Do in the Shadows, uh, the movie and the TV show, which I've seen neither of, but I really want to. It looks definitely high up on my list. Yeah. There's a movie called Blood Red Sky that came out recently that was all vampires. That's on Netflix, and it's a foreign language film. Interesting idea for vampires. like Basically, they're feral. Or they go feral. Yeah. And so they're more like sort of wolves in a sense. Similar immortality.
1: Okay. There's the comic book Chew, which is really great. It's all people who have like food-based powers, but there is a vampire like antagonist in it that like eats people with food-based powers and absorbs their food-based powers. Interesting. So it's very strange and like kind of goofy. Like there's aliens and stuff in it too, but the the one of the antagonists is a vampire, a food vampire. Got it. You
0: know what? what? This is another thing you can do is write in let us know what pop culture vampire references that we missed that we should have included. I mean, OK, Van Helsing, obviously. Yeah. Several in, in sort of that canon, if you will, of Dracula and, and all of those. But yeah, let us know anything that we missed uh, that would be fun to mention. And we'll
1: share that on social media. Yep, absolutely. So main take home points from this episode are vampires aren't real. OK, but it's easy to turn something that's that's pretty much you listen to this for like 50 minutes and that's what we came down to. Yeah. But it's easy to turn something as simple as a misdiagnosis into something far grander. And that's actually kind of a lot of fun. And it explains a lot of how things kind of get blown out of proportion and they become kind of aggrandized. Right. Like, the, you know, you have these like these small things like that's how folklore and legend shows up. Right. Like it's some small little thing that happened in history and through the grapevine turns into something much larger, much bigger, much more fanatical. And, uh, and I guess maybe this whole episode is just really about hyperbole.
0: (laughs) Sure. Yeah, no, I like that. I think they're not real in the sense of the sort of the myth and lore around them, but they potentially, they are real in what vampirism is rooted to in our reality. And there is a certain verbal culture, a language around vampires that's very real and that we react to in a way, whether we call it entertaining or not, there is a reality of the concept there. And so that's fun. And there are vampires, there are elements of the lore of vampirism that are found in things like porphyria and rabies that make it sort of look real. But you're absolutely correct, of course, that we don't We're landing on the fact that the mythological cryptid creature of a vampire is not real. There is a reality about vampires that is not that thing, though.
1: So, a second bullet point that we would make for, or at least to take-home point, is that Edward Cullen is not a vampire, so let's stop <laughs> pretending that Twilight are vampires. We keep re- mentioning that vampires don't sparkle. Edward Cullen is a glampire, and we should be <laughs> all reminded that every now and again. When we go back into Twilight, he's a glampire, not a vampire. Robert Pattinson, that is not his fault. Wonderful actor. Seriously. Support his work, Yeah, but Edward Cullen is a glampire.
0: <laughs> so... Vampirism, interesting, interesting thing to talk about. Really fun, sort of quirky history in there. And I, again, I invite you. If there's any piece of the lore that we missed, also, please let us know. I'd like to hear about that. Yeah. Are, are we ready for recommendations?
1: Let's do it. Recommendations. So, as Abraham said earlier in the episode. One of the best vampire stories that exists, and I'm so glad that you and I agree on this because it is really one of the most like fantastic stories. Is "I Am Legend" by Richard Matheson? Oh, it's so so well done. It's so well done. Yeah, I mean the thing the thing is is that there is the Will Smith movie of the same name, and they take. Elements of the story, they kind of change the location and they change it a little bit, but for the most part What's really beautiful about I am legend the the actual story is that it's not the traditional vampire story You've got it follows the vampire hunter of the story He's traveling around in like kind of a suburb and a neighborhood and he's like finding vampires and doing like killing the vampires and they're driving Him crazy at night because they know where he exists and know yeah. where he lives and it, it takes a really great turn that you don't expect you could actually get this in a collection of short story, like in a short end stories that I like. The collection I have is like, I am legend and other stories. Oh, cool. And Richard Matheson is just a really great. It's, a, it's done really, really well. And just you feel the claustrophobia of the vampire hunter trapped in the house. You feel like the urgency and like the disdain that he has for vampires. It's done. Re- it's one of my favorite stories. So oh, it's, it's definitely so worth picking up. Yeah, Richard
0: Matheson in general, man, do I I love so much of what he's done. Uh, what a fabulous writer! Yeah, and yeah, I'm Legend is is one of my favorite of all vampire stories. I completely agree. So for sure, great recommendation. I'm gonna recommend a TV show that I've recently gotten into that is just so much fun. And It is called Only Murders in the Building. The primary cast of this includes Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. Although it features a wide cast of uh, additional bonus character uh, actors that you get, there's Sting actually is in an episode or two in this, uh, which is really fun. So weird. Yeah, and I'll I'll just suffice it to say it's kind of a murder mystery comedy, and it's just it's a super fun, super well done show. Really interesting. I highly highly recommend it. I believe this is on Hulu as the platform.
1: Yeah, Yeah, cool. I'll check it out. I've seen advertisements for it and I love Steve Martin and Martin Short, So like, I'm stoked. I'm stoked to see that.
0: Yeah, it's just definitely worth a watch. It's not super long, but really enjoyable. I think they did a good job with it. Very cool. All right. We have some listener mail. So this comes from Melissa and Melissa wrote in with a topic idea. She said, I love the podcast. I have a topic for your consideration the various motivations for people who volunteer their time to do search and rescue. Mm. Uh, She said, I have some experience with search and rescue, mostly on the dog side, but also on the support team side. And she says here, my observations, but I wonder what you guys would come up with either studies or studies in similar situations, um, that sort of thing, Uh, direct studies or, or sort of related ones. She said, some people get into search and rescue to feel like, or to be a hero. There could be some altruism, just sort of serving their own ego or the desire for people to believe that their dog is a hero or just to, to do something fun with their dog. But she, she mentions that doing the training to prepare yourself and your dog, if applicable, takes a lot of time and very often a lot of your own money. And also that volunteers can be seriously hurt during this activity, the volunteer or their dog could be hurt. So the motivation really does need to be sufficiently high and certainly some education. And Then she says, I see, unfortunately, many ill-prepared canine search and rescue teams, people who are they're not really in shape for that kind of uh, exertion. The dog is just really not an appropriate breed or in good enough shape to do it, that sort of thing, or, or lacking appropriate training. And so this perhaps speaks more to the acceptance of less than optimal teams and that what can occur there. And she said, in any event, keep up the good content. We've actually had another exchange getting a little bit more. I was asking her about her history and doing search and rescue. So um, I love this. I love this this topic so much. So thank you very much, Melissa, for writing in. This topic immediately went to the to the near the top of the queue in terms of uh, what we know we're going to be recording on. And I'm really excited to learn more about this and bring it in. So that was a really cool recommendation and also really cool that you get to do that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I I am the out of shape human that will not be able to do that. <laughs> and my dogs are not sufficient breeds. Like I've got a wiener dog who is very tiny and very scared of literally everything. So like I know that I'm not I am not that person. So basically what I'm reading is I'm gonna stay out of the way.
0: <laughs> yes. Like maybe a good place to be if you're not gonna help with search and rescue is like donate some money to the search and rescue teams. Yeah. Otherwise, uh don't don't necessarily try and go out and do something for which you are not prepared. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah, I'm excited to learn more about this topic and, and take this on. I appreciate the recommendation. All right. If you would like to tell us a topic to talk about that's something you do or are passionate about, if you're a vampire or know someone who is or have some points of legend that we may have missed, if you would like to dispute something that we said about vampires and the fact that Edward Collins is not really one or anything like that, you can. You not only can but you should mm-hmm. reach out to us and let us know on all the social media platforms. Our handle is at WWD WWDPodcast. just a quick 16 letter type in and you're there to go. That's <laughs> not uh, 16, but otherwise you can email us at info at WWD We'd really like to hear from you on any of those things. As always leave us a rating and a review, wherever you listen to podcasts, click subscribe. If you haven't already, thank you so much for your preparation on this today, Shane. Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you to the Why We Do What We Do team, including Alan, Kyle, Selena, Justin, Amber, and Britt, and all the work that you guys do. And definitely thank you to our our Patreon supporters who are one of the main reasons that we can really make this whole thing happen. And that includes Amanda, Justine, Justin, Layla, Megan, Mike M, Mike T, and Shauna. Thank you, every one of you, for your awesome work. Speaking of Patreon, of course, you can join us on Patreon. You get a bunch of bonus stuff if you do. All right. I think that that is all that I have. Do you have anything else, Shane? Nope. That's it. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We're out. See ya.
2: You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at www.podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com.